here today to bring you an interview that I did last week with author Jeff Lindsay. Listeners will most likely know him from the Fantastic Dexter series, but he is now embarking on a new series, and I'm going to talk to him about it here in a moment. Um, Before I go into that, though, I have some housekeeping information. Normally, you would be receiving the guide to the week's new releases along with the interview, but there are like five books that I could talk about this week. Um, So I'm going to combine this week and next week with the week of the 30th, 31st. So um, that episode will be a little longer and you can hear kind of all about the books coming out at the end of December. Um, It just seemed to make more sense than doing these short episodes with just a few books here and there. So that is my plan going forward. And you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, feel free to join our Facebook listener group so you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. We would definitely love to have you. You can also see some things that we're reading. We post that on Wednesdays, just kind of a little snapshot of what the women of Book Bistro are currently reading. The show notes are always put in on our Facebook page. You can take a look there as well. Um, If you want to send us an email, you can do that. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And without further delay, let's get into my interview with author Jeff Lindsay here on Book Bistro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. I'm Shannon, and I am joined today by author Jeff Lindsay, who listeners will most likely recognize from the ever-so-fantastic Dexter series. But today, we are here to talk about his new novel, featuring a new anti-hero, So this is Just Watch Me, and it came out here in the U.S. on December 3rd. So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Shannon. You are very welcome. Can we start out by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Just Watch Me and the character of Riley Wolf? Sure. Um, Just Watch Me is... uh, the story of Riley Wolf pulling off an impossible heist. That's what he is about. That's what he has to do. Um, Because of a series of traumatic events in his past, he is absolutely compelled. He's in this grip of, of this compulsion to do impossible things, to prove to people that he can do it, even though he was trailer trash as a kid. And because the the people that were telling him he couldn't do it and bullying him were rich, he takes um, an absolute inordinate pleasure in preying on the 1%, the people who have unearned inherited wealth and just wallow in it and kind of rub the rest of our noses in the dirt while they're doing it. And there's no thrill for him like uh, stealing something impossible from the 1%. Is well, that a good start? <clears throat> it is. And in this book, he definitely uh, does go after something that seems impossible. Um, I read that um, Just Watch Me as an audiobook, 
in preparation for this interview. And well, I heard I, that they, they have a really good narrator for that. Is that true? I would say that's true. Oh, good. I believe it's written and read by the same person. Oh, mm. I, well, that's <laughs> always good that. when that works out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So what gave you the idea to write a heist novel? You know, you came from writing Dexter, who is so dark and lovable and murderous. And then you switched to something really different um, in Riley, um, where we talk about stealing. So can you talk a little bit about that transition between the two characters? Sure. Um, I didn't really think of it as, you know, like writing a heist novel. It's um, I didn't think of there was a, a heist genre, I guess. Um, but I wanted to do another anti-hero. But I didn't want him to be, you know, just cookie cutter, uh, new Dexter with a, a different face. And I didn't want him to be a sociopathic cold killer like Dexter was. Um, so it took a lot of work and a lot of time. And I evolved the idea through a lot of different incarnations. But what I eventually came up with is a character who's willing to kill uh, if it's necessary to uh, arrange an accident for somebody to get the job done. Um but that's not what he's about. There's he has a series of what he calls Riley's laws. And law number one is the job comes first. And that makes it, if not OK, then at least permissible to kill somebody if killing them makes it possible to get the job done. Um, the heist thing was really he work, Riley Wolf works alone. That's kind of the wolf part of the name, the lone wolf. And um, so he has to come up with these elaborate, almost Rube Goldberg machine type um, plots to get what he's after. And that doesn't come naturally to me. I, I really did have to work hard to get that. Um, but I think it pays off um, if it works in the book. And it really does work in the book. We see. Thank you. You were from, supposed to say that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've never like interviewed someone and said, you know, that was a really terrible book. Why? Why uh, did you write it? Well, <laughs> if you ever want to hear an author say that, talk to me before publication sometime. Ah, OK. Then we can hear you uh, disparage your. Yeah, I, your I'm a mess. Work. I'm a total neurotic mess. And if I was suddenly magically given another month, um, I would sit and start rewriting uh, Just Watch Me right now. Uh, I, I can't help it. I, I can always make it better, and I want to. Oh, a bit of a perfectionist then. So one of the most interesting differences I found in <clears throat> Just Watch Me when compared to the Dexter books is that we see things from a variety of points of view Right. as people are interacting with kind of the, the various incarnations of, of Riley. Mm -hmm. um, was it difficult for you to kind of capture all of those different voices and perspectives after writing Dexter where you pretty much stayed in Dexter's head for the entire series? Uh, the hard part wasn't getting the different voices, which is something, you know, I've always done, you know, like starting as a playwright. Um, 
And the hard part really was convincing myself that it, it was not illegal to uh, shift perspective like that, uh, ah. you know, from first person to third person. Um, that It really made me uncomfortable at first, but I really did think that was the best way to tell this story. And, um, you know, practicality trumps aesthetics. And I think aesthetically it worked out all right, too. So, uh, yeah, the hard part is not the not the voices, um, because I, I approach every character like a method actor and I, I try to get inside them and create a, a unique perspective. Um, obviously, there's a lot of characters I couldn't do that with, but I try to do it with all of them that I that I write. So let's talk about the audiobook for a minute. What um, what inspired you to read this one yourself instead of going kind of the traditional route and auditioning um, a voice actor for it? Well, in the first place, I am a voice actor. Ah. Um, I, I earned a living for a while. Um, I was working for a kind of a low budget uh, audio studio that did a lot of Korean cartoons and Filipino action movies. And I say low budget as a way of explaining how I ended up playing a lot of scenes with myself that I so they can keep it running and cut the number of takes down. I'd be going, look out, he's got a gun. Hey, watch out over there. I swear I'll kill you all. um, (laughs) So it's, you know, it's in my background. It's something I can do. Um, and I did do all of the Dexter books, too. So it seemed like a natural transition. And I was trying to figure I'm with a new publisher now, Dutton. I was trying to figure out how can I persuade them that I'm not being a narcissistic author going, I can do this and no one else. When actually um, they called me up and said, you did such a good job on the Dexter books. Are you willing to do the audio for this, too, please? And I said, Oh, all right. So it worked out okay. So what is it like to kind of go into the process of not just writing that work, but actually bringing it to life um, in an audio book? Like, is that kind of a, a strange experience for you to read your own work? And it's, it's not strange anymore. Um, it's, uh, on the, I'm going to run out of hands, but I'm going to start with on the one hand. Um, <laughs> it feels like I'm protecting the book because I think I can do a better job than most people on my own stuff. But um, it also is frustrating because I find a lot of things I wish I could polish. Oh. And, um, you, you know, I, I, I do enjoy doing different actor uh, accents and character voices. But um, we did this one relatively quickly. Um, It's one of my very few brags. I am a one take kind of a guy with audio. And so it was three and a half days to finish this. And I did, you know, a Persian accent, three different Southern accents, British accent, all this stuff. And we're moving on. We come to the last couple of chapters and I had to do a Cockney accent and I was just burned out, I guess, but I came up blank. I'm going, oh, God, how does it go? Um, I sorry, Governor. No, that's not it. No. Oh, Governor. Oh, bloody. Oh, 
crap, I can't do it. And I just sort of <laughs> melted down there for a minute. <laughs> but other than that, I, I like doing it. It's a break uh, from the writing grind. And I work with people I, I really like and respect. So, um, you know, no complaints. I hope I can keep doing it. So can you tell us a little bit about what might be coming next for Riley? I can tell you very little um, because I'm a horrible tease. Oh. Uh, the, uh, the title, or at any rate, the working title is Fool Me Twice. And I will just say that if stealing the Iranian crown jewels is really impossible, what he's going after in book two, Fool Me Twice, uh, we need to find some new words because it's beyond impossible. And would we be expecting this kind of in the late fall, early winter of 2020 or? Um, at the moment, it's it's uh, it's chalked in on the board for um, a, a year from now, December next year. Uh-huh. Very good. I am not a patient um, waiting person, but I, I will do my best. Are you one of those uh, readers who writes the angry letters to George R.R. R. Martin about finish up or else? Oh, no, I've never written an angry letter. I just sort of like stalk the Goodreads profile a little mm -hmm. obsessively and like see, is there a title? Is there a date? Oh, is there a synopsis yet? Oh, I wish it would come now. <laughs> but I'm lucky because as um, someone who does podcasting and reviewing, I often get um, advanced copies of books. For so. Free? Yes. Wow, I'm going to do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, they're basically, you know, in exchange for a review or like in this case, you know, to get ready for the interview, things like that. Right. Um, but I, I love it so very much because I get to read things like before they're actually out and kind of contribute to the like pre-publication buzz. Um, it, it makes me very, very happy. Yeah, well, that's OK. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions from my team of presenters here at Book oh Bistro my. who really would like to talk about Dexter for a minute. Oh, all right. <laughs> so Brooke is wondering how involved you were in the creating the Dexter show as this opposed is, to just your series. This is probably a polite way of asking me if I was involved in the final episode, right? Um, I They consulted me on the pilot episode, mm -hmm. and, you know, I talked to them, and I visited the set, and we went back and forth, and after that, I would visit the the set, that, you know, like once a season to see how it was going and I got friendly with a couple of the actors, too, so it was just nice to visit. Um, but I didn't really have any involvement in it after the pilot episode. Okay, so you didn't, like, help write the script or anything like that? No. Um, okay. I, I have not seen the, the show. Um, I'm often very reluctant to see adaptations of things that I really love, because then I get mad when they're, like, they're changed from the... Uh, the original like text right um so i i can't comment on that other than to say that you know i've heard um good things overall about the show but i have not seen it myself 
And Christine is wondering, did you ever consider writing about Dexter kind of earlier in his life, like to kind of give readers a peek into sort of the process of him becoming the Dexter that we saw in the series? Um, I've thought about it and I've done some flashbacks in the books mm-hmm. and uh, in the graphic novels, which is what we have to call comic books now. Oh. And um, I did uh, two five story graphic novels with uh, Marvel, which was, you know, like a fulfillment of a lifelong dream. And um, there were a couple of flashbacks to his childhood in those. But uh, other than that, no, not really. I mean, it's it's not something that really interests me unless it's moving a current story forward, I think. Okay. Uh, you know, the flashbacks explain a lot. I use them in Just Watch Me. Um, yes. And I think it's part of the, the ticking in the book as Frank Delgado uncovers new threads about the past. And we learn what those threads are, and it explains a little bit about Riley. Uh, that's the way I would rather do that. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you bring up Frank Delgado. This is a bouncing back, of course, to Just Watch Me. And just um, in time, too. Yes. So how was it for you to kind of write the, I don't know what we would call him, not necessarily the antagonist, I guess, but the person who really wants to bring Riley down. Yeah. Kind um, of a stalker with a badge. Kind of. Yes. He's definitely driven. Um, and I found myself like really sort of dreading seeing how close he was getting to Riley. Like I, I I'm not sure if this makes me sort of a terribly immoral person, Absolutely. but I kind of didn't want him to, you know, get too close. Um, I was worried that, you know, he would like learn the thing that would have him bringing Riley down successfully. Um, when you wrote that, did you kind of plan to have it be the sort of cat and mouse like chase that it kind of turned out to be where he's, you know, digging back into his past and just this really obsessive need to find out who Riley really is and what makes him tick. Yeah. yeah. At a certain point, it became sort of a reflection of what I was doing with the psychological research on Riley and Frank Delgado sort of became me trying to figure out what made Riley the way he is and letting it trickle out one clue at a time, kind of the way it did for me building the character. And um, I have a lot of different connections with the character of Frank Delgado. Um, you know, he's, he's a nod to my past growing up in Miami because he's a Cuban American character. And he's even kind of a blend of a couple of good friends of mine from high school. Um, so he has that function, but I think just on a technical storytelling level, it's good to have that uh, sort of relentless pursuer who, you know, he's he's as good as our protagonist at what he does. And we have to get the feeling that at any moment he could, you know, find a way to get to Riley. Yes. So can you tell listeners a little bit about your writing process, um, especially as you're creating a new character and a new series? Yes, because I know other people enjoy um, 
hearing about my agony. Uh, <laughs> it was really hard. Uh, I, I've probably said that already, but it was creating a, a character and a, a new kind of story that was, you know, constructed like a Rube Goldberg machine that I had to get all the gears in the right place, make the balls drop at the right time. And I hadn't really done that before. Um, and then to get that to click with the characters in just the right way, um, um, it was a long, hard job of work. And uh, it took a couple of years. And um, I, I don't know, at a certain point, it starts getting a little easier. But up to that point, um, constructing the thing in a brand new way with brand new characters really was difficult. But after that, once I've got the basics in place, uh, it's a matter of you really have to sit down and write every day. And I really feel like if I don't get a few pages every day, I haven't earned my air and I, I don't deserve to breathe that day. It's, <laughs> it's it, you know, it's, it's an everyday thing. Sit there and write the pages. I have to. And that's really my process. So now, as you're writing the second book in the series, do you find that a little bit easier because you already kind of have a handle on Riley and who he is, and you're not necessarily kind of, you know, rebuilding him from the ground up in every book? Uh, well, that part of it is a lot easier, yes, uh, because his character and his relationship with the other characters evolves a little, but it's coming from a known place now. But this next thing he's doing is so ridiculously impossible to do that it's it's taking the same kind of structural work that the first one took um it's it's really a grind some days so i'm really curious how you are able to come up with like these really impossible um ideas for him to accomplish and like how do you work out what's going to work in that situation? Like if I said, you know, how could I steal the crown jewels of some country? Like I would have no idea. Well, yeah, well, you got to take it one step at, the, at a time. And if you look at any problem like that, um, you'll find at a certain point, it all comes down to one basic obstacle. Um, and you have to learn to think not just outside the box, but without the box so that, uh, you know, in the best of all worlds, how do I get rid of that obstacle? Um, and eliminating all the boundaries, if I can do anything, how could I get rid of it? And from there, it's it's kind of a reverse of the Sherlock Holmes thing. Um, whatever is impossible, you uh, make it possible and eliminate everything else. Simple, isn't it? I, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's simple. I, okay. I'm well, in that case, blind luck. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> a little bit in awe here of like all these things that he's able to to pull off. So, are you much of a reader yourself? Yes, absolutely. And have you read anything fantastic lately that you would like listeners to know about? Uh, sure. Uh, War and Peace. Um, um. <laughs> yeah, I'd never read it, and I saw it lying around and thought I really should, and it's worth it. Um, fantasy readers do not neglect Naomi Novik, who oh, made no. one of the best ever. 
Um, sci-fi readers, if you don't know about John Scalzi, get over there and read him. Um, that's pretty much where I've been the last couple of, and, um, also do not neglect Miles Cameron for fantasy. He's terrific too. I think he has a book out this week, actually. I think I just saw that when I was looking Buy through. Buy it and read it. Or in your case, offer to review it. <laughs> so as you're doing your research, do you try to stay away from books that are in the specific genre that you write? Like, do you tend to read more sci-fi and fantasy as opposed to mysteries and thrillers? I sci-fi and fantasy and biography, historical fiction. That's what I like to read. Okay. Um, so I'm not inclined to read, you know, heist books or serial killer books or anything like that. You know, when someone told me during Dexter that it actually was a genre, serial killer books, I was like, really? What's wrong with people? This is oh, crazy. they're amazing. But see, I've, I've never read any of them. Oh, I, so I love them. No, it doesn't interest me. I, I don't want to read about serial killers. I want to read just want to write about them. Yeah, and read about pirates with dragons and things like that. I have this thing about when we have a, like a bad storm here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. My favorite and thing is to read like a really scary killer book. Uh, I, I'm not sure that's healthy. <laughs> it's probably not. But it is a thing that I find so, myself. What's plotting. the perfect weather for reading a Riley Wolf book? Well, I was reading it the other day in kind of a windy, blustery rainstorm. Um, but, you know, it would be a good like blizzard book or a good book mm-hmm. when we have, you know, the next polar vortex. Uh, um, the weather outside is tragic, but yes. inside literary magic. Ooh, I like it. Just for you. On Thank the you. <laughs> so if podcast listeners want to get a hold of you online, is there a good way that they can do that? Um, yeah, you can follow me or reach me on Twitter at Dexter Jeff, or I have a brand new website I'm still trying to get the hang of at jefflindsaybooks.com. Beautiful. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And I wish you the best of luck with your next Riley Wolf book, and I will be eagerly anticipating it. Bless you, child. Thank you. like to leave us a rating or a review you can do that on apple podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show not only does it tell us what you think but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book related podcasts Um, it kind of advances us in the google algorithm so i will be back next tuesday morning with an author interview and of course the guide to new releases And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.